Oh, it's seven thirty. We should fucking start, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, probably. Hey guys, <laughs> <laughs> what's up? I'm Christina. I'm uh, Amanda. <laughs> that's Amanda. <laughs> that was a uh, that was a beautiful entrance. We're gonna keep it. Cut it. Do go to editing. Let's go. That's it. <laughs> uh, it made me tuck my chin. You know that's how. Uh. That's that's how I was sitting. I was with my chin all tucked up like a turtle. Hey guys. <laughs> Yertle. Yertle the turtle. <laughs> oh, we sound fucking high. What is? <laughs> it's it's early morning. I'm not quite caffeinated, so maybe I am kind of high. High on life. I... Don't know what I was gonna say. <laughs> I all right. <laughs> uh what's up? How is you? I'm still broken, but we're getting by. Yeah, have to like break yourself so we can't record. Oh my god, that week. was awful. <laughs> my voice. Oh my god. Me. Oh my god, Ronnie. Um It makes me Sorry, sad because your microphone cut out, so I couldn't hear any of your laughter, but you were laughing so joyfully. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Ronnie. Oh my god. Okay. No, so I was leaving Subway, minding my goddamn business, and I like just stepped off a curb, and all of a sudden I was on my knees, and I felt like I was going to puke. It hurt so bad. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, it was pitch black dark. Nobody else was around. I'm like, I got a fucking broken ankle. It's, I didn't want to look at it. I was like, it's broken. I know it's broken. I don't want to fucking look at it. It hurts so bad. I don't want to look at it. And I like look back and I was like, okay, it's, it seems to be in the correct position. <laughs> but I crawled on the ground into my car and like pulled myself up, drove home with my left foot, then called my dad and I was like, can you bring mom's walker out? <laughs> and he's like, why? And I'm like, I can't fucking walk. <laughs> I broke myself and I get home my ankle is like within that like minute and a half it took me to drive home my ankle was twice its normal size and it had two big lumps of fluid and I'm like is that bone and I like poke it and I'm like I was like no it's just fluid but it looked deformed well and it's because I have like a brace in there so the fluid gathered like on either side of the brace so it was like uh... big lump brace big lump <laughs> hold on is this your ankle you just yeah been having issues with okay yeah and so I'm like ouch <laughs> and I had it wrapped and iced and I was just like I can't t- I can't this weekend I'm doing nothing but icing this foot it hurts so fucking bad I don't have any painkillers <sighs> so it's still really fucking sore and bruised and I have to have surgery on it as of December 28th. So, are you pray, trying to squeeze it in before the January 1st mark? Pray surgeries don't get canceled because I don't want to my new my deductible, my out of pocket went up. Let's yeah. have an adult conversation. My out of pocket deductible went up. And I don't want to pay $3,000. <laughs> so, let's get this shit done now so I don't have to pay for shit. Dude, I fuck I fucking feel that. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> I mean, right now, 
not insured, but <laughs> she's got life I, insurance on health insurance. I don't have any insurance right now. So <laughs> I just live in a bubble. Um, no, it's, and it's fine because I'm a pretty healthy person. So if something was to happen, that's the only reason I get insurance in the first place. It's just mm -hmm. too expensive for me to get myself even like, mm -hmm. because I'm a single, because I'm a single female have no dependents or anything. It's just it's too much money yeah. for me to go through, even through the government stuff. So yeah, no, mine, my, through the government stuff was like 600 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not I, affordable no <laughs> nope um that's when my uh when everything started to get like the government like mn sure or whatever started doing mm -hmm. it and i had to stop using my blue cross blue shield because everything went up and i was like i can't afford 200 and something dollars a month and then i went to look at that and it was 300 and something dollars a month i'm like well, I guess I'm just paying $600 at the end of the year because <laughs> I can't afford that. <laughs> That's expensive. Okay. I, let's have a grown-up talk. <laughs> let's have a grown-up talk. So just been dealing with that and um, just want my foot cut off and that's about it and working. How about you? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> um, well, what? I... <laughs> I don't know what this voice I've been doing all episode already, but it's really obnoxious, but I like it. <laughs> but I like it. I like it. Um, I have been doing not much. Um, I just started... <laughs> we just figured out I'm going to start working a couple days a week at the center um, because one of the girls went on maternity leave. And so I'm going to go and cover her like extra class shifts and then do some breaks and stuff. So I get like two nine hour days. So I just have like... Oh a little paycheck coming in That's which nice. is nice because it'll a little cushion and people time because you know as much as I love just being in my house by myself all the time mm -hmm. um it's starting to wear on me I need like adult interaction especially on these weekends when Chris isn't here he's like the only adult interaction I get <laughs> that I'm like I don't know what to do maybe I'll take another nap <laughs> You could hang out with Brandon. He works, and right now he's on a hunting trip, so... Oh, fucking dumb. Uh, and I, you know, Brandon's a nice guy, but I don't think that we could hang out very much. He gets mad at me when I call him out on his bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but he pimps out our uh, our podcast. Solid. He's gotten us, like, just himself gotten us, like, four or five different listeners so oh thanks brandon he goes i don't know anything about it because i don't listen to it it's not stuff that i'm interested in but whenever <laughs> anybody mentions that they like true crime i'm like hey i have a friend who does a podcast <laughs> nice right uh yeah yeah but otherwise life is just life is life normal is just life in 2020 my friends right i'm like between between the not working and the just general just try to stay away from people if you can right i'm starting to whew, starting to get a little little sad sad sap early seasonal depression is what it's feeling uh, like your quarantine depression's mixing with your seasonal depression to make know, like a weird little nuclear little... bomb of depression <laughs> amanda's gonna call me eating cake batter from her couch <laughs> hey dude hey don't joke before. about that i literally <laughs> made cake batter i knew the it. other day i knew it and ate it I fucking myself. Knew it. I knew don't it. worry, I didn't put in the eggs. Oh, <laughs> uh, brown! I dude, fucking, I do that with brown. I don't eat it. Well, I eat it, but I make the brownies too, so it doesn't. Count. Yeah, I didn't make any cake. I Listen, just... you made those calories. Those calories don't count. You're their god. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I brought you into this world. I can take you out. <laughs> uh, so today we were, I think, go ahead. Wait, pause. Um, I have one more funny story. We okay. were um, talking about whether or not we were going to do Thanksgiving. And just as we were talking about it, that meme, po- a meme popped up and I was like, oh, it's just perfect. It was I mean, what's more uh, authentic than celebrating Thanksgiving with the possibility of transmitting a disease to the people you're visiting? And I'm like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> That's where uh, we're doing just like the immediate family. So it's only like three households or what? Uh, technically two since Kate and Molly live in the same vicinity. Yeah. But like, <laughs> mom's like, oh, well, I guess we're not going to dad's side. And I'm like, ah. Shucks. It's too bad. There's so many cute little kids now yeah. on that side that I'm like, I wanted some like baby, baby time, baby time, but I'll get a Leon time. So it's fine. Uh, we're just doing our normal stuff with my uncle with his kids. So there's less than 10 of us or there's 10 of us, but it's like six households, but it's fine. Well, I mean, and if you, all of them pretty much stay to themselves for the most part, other yeah. than going to work. So right. it's not like they're two of them work from home. Well, three of them work from home. Two of them actually have to go to work, but my uncle's been going to work and my aunt's been going to work too. But I mean, like, that's all they're doing. So I wouldn't. Oh, be I got concerned. the hiccup. So sorry, guys. <laughs> it's more funny with it with the visuals than just the sound because they're very painful. <laughs> they hurt a lot. Because of my time in your tummy, the hiccups I always get are very extremely painful. It's like spasms in my esophagus. Uh, tell me all right so we're switching it up again amanda's gonna go first this time because my story's not depressing and hers is so yeah and mine's kind of an extension of last week so it's kind of or two weeks ago because oh yeah last Last episode last week we didn't do anything because of me (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm gonna tell all y'all about kenneth parnell all y'all bitches all y'all bitches uh, the man who kidnapped Steven Stainer. So we're going to get into a backstory and then um, kind of the what happened to him after he, uh, Steven was dude. found. She just I've looked like she, like, she looked like she was about to throw up in her mouth. <laughs> so I've had like this issue where like burps get caught. Ew. Right here. Just right, right, right here. And right. so I have to like force them up but i'm afraid more is gonna come up <laughs> so all every time i do this I'm pinch gonna, it shut just pinch <laughs> it shut so it stays in her mouth <laughs> pinch my trap shut <laughs> that way if i throw up it's gonna be just through my nose <laughs> i just imagine that burning oh uh, like when you accidentally laugh when you just drink like lemonade or something and, and goes, you get that like oh. acidic burn like a sore throat for like a week and it's like i'm not sick it's just i burn myself with lemon acid lemon acid <laughs> all right that's what i was calling orange juice because i was drinking a huge jug of it not the time we were on the podcast another time and i was like oh i'm gonna have heartburn from all this orange acid and they're like orange <laughs> juice i'm like it's just acid at this point it hurts so bad um <laughs> uh, so Kenneth Parnell was born on September 26th of 1931 in Amarillo, Texas. Um, During his early childhood, his mother and three half-siblings moved to Bakersfield, California. So he started in Texas, and then when he was really young, they moved to California, since that's where everything happens. Um, His father was basically non-existent and abandoned them when he was six years old. 
non-existent does that mean he disappears uh yes not real yeah he's a figment of everyone's imagination another dimension sorry i'm just preparing myself for terrible things so now i'm just gonna make fun of everything sorry continue (laughs) parnell had a troubled childhood filled with like self-harm and uh, suicidal tendencies uh when he was 13 years old he was sent to juvenile facility to a juvenile facility after performing oral on a man I'm not sure why they would send the child to get incarcerated, but they did. Forcible oral? (laughs) It's not funny. I'm sorry. (laughs) But after a few months, um, he was out. And when he was 14, he stole a car and got sent back to another juvenile juvenile facility. So he kind of is, and this is a definitely a uh, recurring theme in his life. Uh, again, he was arrested for committing an act on a man in 1947. I don't is that understand. Illegal then? I don't know if. Or is he forcibly like unzipping people's pants and sucking their dicks? Like I don't, I don't know understand why he's going to jail. I'm wondering if it's something like his mom. Like well, in the oh in the 40s, it's the 40s, it right? Yeah, I bet you she's legal. committing him to yeah. Oh, that's why. So it's not, I should stop making jokes about it. Okay. Um, this time he was about 15 and I just don't, I don't understand how he's getting sent places and the men aren't getting arrested, but whatever. It's probably because it's, you can still send people to the crazy place for having menstrual rage and shit. Like there's no rules. Maybe. I don't know. But then in 1948, so about a year later, he was arrested for stealing another car. This is what I mean. It's like over and over the same thing. So he's just sucking dick and stealing cars. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of weeks being, <laughs> I, I just go, uh-huh. <laughs> but I mean, basically, I just don't, what I, it just bothers me that like he was getting punished for this act as a child. Like he had. Was it on a man or was it on another boy? On a man. On a man. Okay. All of them said on a man, which in my mind means an adult. Okay. Not on a, another child or a teenager. It doesn't say anything like that. Yeah. Hmm. so i, don't I just really don't feel that. any sympathy for him because you know i know what he did so that's why well, I'm getting, right. there's all these jokes are happening but then at the same time you're like mm, did this also contribute to him doing what he did no because like, bad shit happens to people all the time and they don't murder him unless little boys so that doesn't mean that everybody's brains work the exact same way though no i'm not saying it's good or okay i'm just saying that we can't completely say this happened to you but you should just be fine I'm not saying you should be fine. I'm just saying you shouldn't be murdering or molesting little boys. He didn't murder any little boys. He could have. You don't know. You don't know his life. I mean, I did pretty deep research on it. I didn't find anything. <laughs> um. Anyway, so he was captured and he was in for a couple weeks. Um. And then he escaped. Escaped. Escape. Uh. And then he was rejailed, which... At that point, he attempted suicide, which he had, like, multiple times when he was in his younger childhood, too. Like, from age Mm -hmm. eight and up, he pretty much every once in a while would, like, throw himself off a building or (laughs) try to drink and eat stuff that would make him sick and die. Like, he was... You can't just throw him every once in a while and just throw himself off a building. I'm not even kidding. There were multiple multiple (laughs) accounts of him climbing up onto the barn and like throwing himself off trying to kill himself (laughs) like that sort of thing he clearly had some mental issues yes so 
after this, he was sent to a mental hospital, um, but he escaped again <laughs> and drove to meet a boy that he was infatuated with. So now that he's getting to be like 15, 16, he's mm-hmm. starting to have more of the, I think for him, it's more of a control thing he gets because now he's going for younger kids rather mm-hmm. than being basically abused himself. Um, so he was captured and stayed this time until he was actually released in 1949 at the age of 18. Um, he moved in with his mother and then quickly after that, he got married. Like he met a girl, they dated for a couple months and he got married. Okay. Um, on March 20th of 1951, Parnell impersonated a police officer and he approached three separate boys playing in a park. Uh, he convinced Bobby Green, who was nine years old, uh, that he matched a description of a juvenile escapee and that he had to go back to his home to clear things up with his parents. So basically Parnell was like, hey, I'm a cop. You sound like this kid that escaped. Let's go to your house so your parents can basically vouch for you, right? Um, and so Bobby, who was like, he's a cop, uh, listened to him and Parnell drove him into a remote area and raped him before bringing him back to the park where he was playing and just leaving him there. So Bobby ran home and obviously told his parents. And not long after that, about a few days, Parnell was arrested again. Um, Parnell confessed to the crime and he, excuse me, and he was convicted of a few different charges, including crimes against nature my quotes were out of the frame ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Parnell pleaded guilty of a lesser charge, which was lewd contact with a child under the age of 14. Gross. Um, he was examined by three different psychologists at this there time. There should not be a lesser charge. Can I just put that out there that there should not be a lesser charge? It I'm should be gonna, rape. I'm you raped a child. Let, let you know, you're going to be fucking pissed by oh, the end of this. I'm aware because he clearly was able to. Uh, go all the I, i'm aware but it's oh, fucking bullshit just oh, just you wait <laughs> um so he was examined by three different psychologists and all concluded that he was showing symptoms of sexual psychopathy um during this time his wife gave birth to their first child isn't it psychopathy psychopathy yeah, yeah i've heard it both ways psychopathy and psychopathy but yeah. Well, when we did mine before and I said psychopathy, you're like, that's not right. It's psychopathy. So I just wanted to correct you. I think it's psychopathy. Yeah. I just, I'm just reading. I'm reading like you, Christina, okay? All of the vowels in a very specific way. It is. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, I know you corrected me on this, so I just want to catch you before you say it again. Before you say it again. Um, so he was officially diagnosed as a sexual psychopath, but with no psychosis or and he was legally sane. So basically, we know you're a molester. Yeah, but you you're can go perv. free. Yeah, half a perv, but go, go, be free, little one. See, but here's the thing: the staff recommended that he would be committed for like an Indefinite undetermined time. amount of time. So, like, as long as he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, but Parnell escaped the institute on September 11th of 51 fuck does he keep escaping is he just like a slippery little fish and keeps sliding out of here or what i think he, I think he just which because for me like i look at him and he's not just like a falls into the crowd where you can't like 
you know, one of those faces that kind of blends in, you don't think about it. Like he Mm -hmm. clearly is a creep. And so I don't really know, but I think he just walks out like during visiting days and stuff, like just gets up and goes out with the people. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's what it seems like. Cause there's no like big story that comes with it. It's just, he escaped whenever I look it up. So I'm good. Um, but this one, for example, um, he saw the lock of his room window. So I don't know how he got a fucking saw. How did you get a fucking saw? How'd you get a saw there, bud? (laughs) Um, then he was readmitted into a max security facility. Um, but I managed to escape again. (laughs) Yeah. And was caught about four months later. Um, so he was sent to a state prison and served five to life. Okay. But in 1954, only four years later, he was granted parole on condition that he would receive psychiatric treatment that he didn't follow through with. He didn't go, didn't do any of that, but he got out. Um, He and his wife divorced in 1957, so about three years later. Yep, they stayed married. That's gross. um, I forgot he was married. Ew. But, But so they haven't seen each other since he was arrested because he had never even met his daughter that she gave birth to when he was convicted. Okay. So I don't know if it just was that long before they granted her a divorce or before he like was a, they, she was able to get it to him. Cause all that stuff is so like sticky, like how you get it done. If people refuse, can we not use the word sticky in relation to Kenneth Parnell, please? <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> In August of 1957, Parnell got remarried um, to a girl named Emma, who was 10 years older than him, and they had a daughter, too. So this daughter, he was in her life, like, knew her, did not meet her ever. Um, Two years later, in August of 59, Parnell robbed a service station in Salt Lake City and again was sentenced to five to life. Um, During this, Emma divorced him. She's like, oh. Yes, you're a fuckbag. See you later. Whoop. See you later. Yeah. Parnell was released in September of 61 on the conditions of never returning to Utah. So <laughs> I wrote, what the fuck? You can go, but don't do the, don't be our problem, basically, yeah. is what it said. Like, yeah. Okay, go, but don't come back here. Thanks. Yeah. Um, in 1972, Parnell applied to a company in Yosemite National Park. Yes. Yosemite that from before mm-hmm. um and this they said it was a good place for people that had a criminal background because it was so isolated and private and honestly they didn't do a lot for like background checks mm-hmm. um just a sketchy past place where it was filled with a lot of questionable people yeah at the time I don't know what it's like now um even so Parnell lied on his application not that he really needed to saying mm-hmm. he had no criminal history and he was hired to work the front desk at the Yosemite Lodge. So right where um, Carrie Steiner worked too. Yeah. He worked at the Yosemite. Oh God. That's so fucking gross. Yep. Um, if you remember, the police had requested employment after Steve, like the employee's information after Steven was, had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that the manager had screwed up. And accidentally only gave half of the employee's name because they got paid every other week and it was staggered between half employees and half employees. And he had just gotten the employee list from that week's pay. Oh. And instead of like all of the employees, 
And uh, Parnell happened to be the person that one of the people that wasn't on the list that the police got, which is why they didn't see, didn't look into him as much. Yeah. Gross. So just one of those like weird oversight things that you're like, oh shit, that like made a huge difference because if they knew about him, they would have gone to where he was staying and there Steven would have been. So yeah. Uh, there's just so many things during that case that I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, so Irvin Murphy, do you remember he's the one that helped lure Steven in? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now I'm gonna try to kind of like give you guys what happened with the other people that were involved. So like Stephen Murphy, Sean Poorman, who helped with like Timmy's whatever, because there's just more information that I was like, oh wow, okay, didn't know that. So. So Irvin Murphy knew Parnell through work. After he was arrested, he said that he was relieved to hear that Stephen was all right. Um, He also claimed that he had called the Merced police multiple times throughout the years. And every time someone answered, he would just panic and hang up because um, Parnell had like threatened him. Yeah. You know, Um, Murphy said that on December 4th, He was going to go Christmas shopping, but accidentally fell asleep and missed his bus. And so Parnell woke him up by coming to his door and knocking on it and asking him if he wanted to go into town. And he thought, perfect, I missed my bus. I need to go get groceries and Christmas presents. So let's go. Um, And that's when he kind of talked him into getting a boy to raise in a religious type deal. And yeah. So Kenneth been watching Steven or was this just a random? I can't remember. This was a random thing. Okay. So they literally went walking around and he talked Irvin into helping him like hand out religious pamphlets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was Go back and listen to the episode if you don't remember. Right. So they had approached multiple people like kids that day, and Steven just happened to be the one that was like, Okay. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, and I'm sure he was thinking, my house is like a block away. Mm Mm-hmm sure like we can drive over to my house and then they just kept driving um it turns out that parnell paid off murphy's own oh played off of murphy's own abuse by his mother and basically told him he wanted to find a boy to raise in a good christian home that maybe wasn't having a good life at home so that's kind of how he talked murphy into doing it okay um and when parnell brought Stephen to his trailer at St. Kathy's, they actually um, passed search volunteers on their way there. So they literally walked, like when they got to Kathy's, St. Kathy's where his cabin was, they had passed the people looking for Stephen with Stephen in the car. Gross. I know. I just I like that. Another random piece of information. I was like, oh, ew. Um, when Parnell decided to leave the area, um, he totally blackmailed Murphy into giving him a portion of his pay for the next few years. So Murphy was also giving Parnell money because he was like, if they find out that you were in also part of this, you're going to get in trouble. And I think uh, Murphy had like a clean record, but he was like very, like we said, kind of a brightest tree. Right. He had a lower IQ and kind of uh, open to manipulation. Um, in 1974, two years later, Parnell found Murphy again and tried to get him to resume payments because Murphy had stopped giving him money. Okay. And Murphy refused and apparently it didn't come to anything because Murphy's like, nope, 
and oh, they, bitch. He, he didn't go to him obviously he didn't go to the police because right. he's been keeping him um even as they brought steven to the same da, 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 da. sorry this doesn't make sense as they brought steven to the same oh so after they had like found steven like he was recovered um they Stephen would refuse that he was sexually abused all the mm-hmm. way up until like weeks later. So they like brought him to St. Kathy's trailer. He was still like, nope, nothing happened. We're fine. Um, but the police knew because of Parnell's history that it had Well, and I'm sure happened. they did a medical exam too. Right. So the investigation in case against Parnell was complicated because of frequent moves and for how long he was keeping him imprisoned. Um, most things were in separate jurisdictions, making communication hard. Um, and now there's always the one person that like will withhold information because they want to be the ones who break a case, you mm-hmm. know? So they were trying to work together, but there was always those people that were kind of holding things to themselves. Um, so it made it even worse. Right. Dumbasses. And then I put dumbasses. You dumbass. Um, so police from Merced sent a few spent a few days um, in Mendocino County questioning Stephen's friends and Parnell's friends there where they had moved. And there were children at that place that they said Parnell had abused them too. Oh God. While they were there. Um, But it was outside of the jurisdiction and they handed it into the DA of that County, right? Mm -hmm. Richard Finn, who was disinterested didn't even follow up with the kids that said that they had been sexually abused by Parnell. What a fucking asshole. Yeah. I would, there's so many moments like that here fucking that I'm like, motherfucker. Are you kidding me? Um, what Richard, what Richard Finn did do was, um, hypnosis with Timmy to get more information. And that led them to 15 year old Sean Poorman. Um, the one that helped get Timmy. Okay. Who had, he so he turns out okay sorry i'm like reading and then i'm getting ahead of myself and then i'm like i already said that cuz i get all i'm so like sweaty about this case cuz i get just like <clears throat> so 15 year old Sean Porman who had helped kidnap Timmy um it turns out that Steven and Sean weren't even really friends. Steven's like, I mean, we were acquaintances and mm-hmm. that Sean had come to hang out at Steven's place just to get whiskey and weed from Parnell. Okay. Like that's so when they said that he was friends with Steven, I was like, oh, no, we're not. Okay. We're not no. Steven's like, no. Um he admitted that Parnell had asked him to find a boy on the street to adopt quotations um because actual adoption was too much hassle and he just offered him 50 bucks to go and find a boy for him with him gross um the plan was to take timmy and dress him as a girl so he wouldn't be found um they parked a couple of blocks away from school and acted as if they had something wrong with their tire uh and then they would ask for his help when he got there they'd throw him in the back seat so i don't know if they had like specifically timmy in mind or if they were just like find a kid who's walking by themselves Mm -hmm. um but timmy refused to come help because he was taught that if an adult asks you for help that's something weird right so poorman actually like walked up to him 
and grabbed Timmy, but Timmy like clung to a chain link fence that was by the sidewalk. And Poorman just pried him off and then threw him in the back seat. Um, They covered him up with a blanket and forced him to take a sleeping pill so he would pass out and not know where they were going. Poor baby. I know. I'm like, it hurts my heart to think about Mm -hmm. poor little guy because he was five, like tiny. Um, They went back to the cabin and Poorman left. And that was all. Like, that's all of Poorman's, the extent of how he helped. Um, So Sean Poorman was originally charged with kidnapping, but his cooperation reduced his charges to like false imprisonment because he was very honest about everything. And, um, and he was released to his parents in custody or to his parents custody until the court proceedings happened. He didn't get held on bail or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Side note, Stephen Stainer was awarded 15, the $15,000 for Timmy's return Aww, on good. the like on the condition of like once he turned 18 yeah he's gonna get it um after that uh and a couple of trips to revisit the places where they had been sorry so they were going to all these different places where they had been kept um well where he had been kept steven and uh, many people had said that they were also like many kids had also said they were sexually abused by parnell so it was like a mm-hmm. thing he did um parnell had sexually abused him that first night steven said because after a while he started opening up about things Mm -hmm. um and so he said that first night he sexually abused him so he molested him and then when they moved he it escalated from there yeah um irvin murphy was his saving grace he said because parnell wouldn't abuse him when he was around so when urban would come around to like give him food and toys and hang out that was like one of the only times that parnell would leave him alone okay um, in that beginning part so the abuse was almost daily by the time they moved up north he said um in the spring of 1974 barb remember parnell's girlfriend that also Mm -hmm. was a terrible human um, came into the picture and at first the pair would just have sex in front of Stephen, who was eight years old at the time um, <sighs> along with Barb raping Stephen at the guidance of Parnell um, oh. the three shared a bed um, and when she moved in with them although Stephen also said that the abuse he received had decreased when Barb was around so it wasn't as violent abuse when mm. Barb was around, so he almost would prefer. He's like, I don't really like Barb, obviously, but it would get less, like less angry mm-hmm. when she was around. So when she moved out in 1976, the abuse ramped up again for a bit. But once he started hitting puberty, it slowed down again, and uh, Parnell basically was would tell Stephen he was no longer attracted to him, and. Um, eventually it just stopped completely. Dude, my face. I just, I, yeah, I know it's gross. And I when don't... you think about it as like, he's talking to a kid. That's gross. I don't, let's move on. Yeah. I so this is when Parnell started talking to Steven about finding a new boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so in California at the time, the statute for sexual abuse was three years, which means that Parnell would have only been able to be charged with the most recent assaults in Mendocino County. Um, Stephen had documented. Three years? Yeah, three years. Oh, including kidnappings the same way. 
fucking California, man. I mean, it's been changed now after all this because it kind of showed things, but like... It's still bad. They just passed a new law. We're not going to talk about it, but it's still fucking gross. It's still fucking... <sighs> okay, so... Uh, anywho, so the Stephen could document about 87 assaults during the three-year span that would have been... Mm-hmm. Would have been able to be charged for. Gross. Um... So his reports and a handful of friends who said that they were also assaulted were brought to Richard Finn again, like more newer things now that he's saying, yes, it happened, um, who still seemed to just sit on his hands and not do anything about it. Richard Finn is a motherfucker too, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Not long after that, uh, come on, there we go. Finn was replaced by Joe Allen, so he stepped down and was replaced by Joe Allen, who didn't prosecute Parnell for any of the sexual offenses against Stephen, based on a desire to protect Stephen. But there was a sergeant from the community, or from the county's sheriff's department, who said that the county law enforcement at the time had a really weird strength, like a really weird attitude towards prosecuting against adults who sexually abuse children um he said that he said that he worked sex crimes and he could not get the da to prosecute not even filing papers most of the time that's so gross i don't know why but he was this sheriff's like yeah no they have a weird i don't know if they don't want to admit that it's happening or what but it's happening Mm-hmm. Um, leading up to the trial, Parnell was injected with sodium pentothal, aka truth serum, mm-hmm. by a psychiatrist and videotaped. So <laughs> this was in hopes to answer, to get answers um, that would work in favor for the defense. But as you can imagine, it backfired. Oh uh, um, yeah, the answers were right so dis- right. The answers were so disturbing that they discarded the the videos because it was like gross uh yeah which which i can imagine um april 9th of 1980 preliminary hearings started for parnell and murphy they were charged with kidnapping child stealing and false imprisonment and conspiracy to kidnap okay parnell was also charged with child molestation so what drives me bananas is that i mean i understand murphy shouldn't have done what he did but he was getting charged with exactly the same stuff as parnell Mm mm-hmm and Parnell kept him for how many years? Right. There's, um, fuck. <laughs> uh, so the jury were put under a gag order and weren't able to go home, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen took the stand and he was looking at Parnell for the first time face to face since he'd been arrested. Um, he told the courtroom that Parnell threatened to spank him if he would tell anybody. Um, in the fifth grade, he realized he, this is part of his testimony, He realized he had been given away, hold on, he hadn't been given away uh, by his parents that he was taken, and that's when he knew that the Timmy White situation was for real, Mm -hmm. um, because he was like, I mean, he realized in fifth grade that it wasn't his parents giving him away, he was just taken, because when he was little, he was like, my parents just couldn't afford me, so... They gave me away, yeah. Um, the defense argued that there was a three-year statute for kidnapping, as well as... 
as well. And since this had happened outside of that span, neither man should for, be facing charges for it, even though he was mm-hmm. kept for seven years. Gross. Um, the prosecution argued that kidnapping continued every single day that he was kept under imprisonment. That mm-hmm. is considered kidnapping. And the judge agreed, which at that point, I'm like, shouldn't Murphy not get charged then? Because he literally just right. took him, was there, and then he wasn't even in their life anymore after like the first six months. Right. It's- so I don't know. This is just one of those things where I feel like they should have been charged separately. With different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird. So they were ordered to stand trial, obviously, because this was just preliminary stuff. Um, because Stephen didn't testify about the sexual abuse um, in 87, the 87 accounts he talked about, um, the child molestation charges were dropped due to insufficient evidence. So now they're literally getting charged with the exact same thing. Gross. Um Parents wanted Stephen. I think I've said gross like 19,000 times in this episode. Gross. This is well, it's so just gross. So, it's just so annoying. Yeah. Like it's so frustrating. Um, so the parents were kind of like, they didn't fight it because they're like, we just want Stephen's life to get back on track. We're not mm-hmm. maliciously trying to go after it. We just want him to start feeling normal again. Right. Um, so in, on April 15th, the pre-hearing for Timothy White's case began. So this is the stuff, um, this is for Timmy's. So it's so weird. It was hard to like write it out so that it was not overlapping in time, but it is. Um, either way, Parnell pleaded not guilty to the charges, to the charges and Porman testified against him. Apparently Parnell hadn't even paid Porman the money he promised him. <laughs> um, he's like, you didn't even give me the 50 bucks, but I just got out of there because I, I wasn't, like he wasn't into it you know right um he also was asked about what he why he participated and he said that parnell said he wanted to build his family and he couldn't and so he was like kind of felt bad for him kind of whatever um this also proceeded to trial so april 29th okay merced county da pat holford i believe lodged a motion to try to trial Parnell on counts of sodomy and oral copulation since Mm -hmm. they had dropped the um, molestation charges. Um, He believed that he had gathered enough evidence to get this upheld. Um, The public defense, John Elroy, wanted to have Stephen undergo psychiatric testing to see if the sexual acts were real or just made up in his head because they were like, is this something that actually happened or is it just like twisted into this or what um this was denied saying that there was no reason for steven to undergo such testing like Mm -hmm. there's no reason to make him relive everything um defense planned to have the sexual abuse charges dismissed before trial anyway so they weren't worried about it i'm just so confused as to like how they can just say just kidding we're just not gonna charge for that it does when it's like right there um clearly was so i don't understand so I don't understand. Now we're like moving towards the actual trials, right? Like this is mm-hmm. just the trying to get them in there. So defense planned to have the sexual abuse charges dismissed, they said. Um, but on June 7th of 1981, Porman was convicted. Convicted. So Sean Porman was convicted of false imprisonment and got two years in juvenile okay. detention center. Reasonable, I'd say. Um, The next day, Parnell's trial began, and he pleaded not guilty 
Imagine that, Mr. Full of himself. Um, the trial lasted for under three weeks, and Parnell testified that Poorman was the one who orchestrated it, along with his stepfather. Yeah, you know, the 14-year-old kid and his stepfather decided to have Parnell steal a child. Um, saying that, the, that they blackmailed him, he okay. said the stepfather knew the truth about Stephen, and that he would hurt Parnell and his mother if he didn't get a young boy for him to trade for money and drugs. I just... That's, you're, you're making that up. That is what? <laughs> you're making, you're making that up. So Parnell said that on February 14th of 1980, he was at home when the two men, Sean Porman and his stepfather, um, showed up with Timmy White. Like they picked him up and they brought oh. him to him and told him that they had taken him. <laughs> Obviously Porman's stepfather denied this saying he'd never met Stephen Parnell any of them. And Timmy also said that he wasn't taken by them. He was taken by Kenneth Parnell. So he's like, no, (laughs) No, you're making that up. That's a made up story. It was just one of those like grasping at straws moments where I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) So June 29th, the defense started closing arguments saying that there was enough reasonable doubt that he should not be convicted Um, of these charges and that they should consider a lesser charge of false imprisonment over kidnapping (laughs) just like what okay um so you hear the furniture moving upstairs i heard a little something but not not anything major jesus christ what are they doing up there it starts again it starts again so two hours of deliberation in the jury Two hours of deliberation, and the jury declared Parnell guilty of kidnapping. Parnell um, just sighed when the verdict was given. That was it. He was like, shoot. Shoot. Uh, September 25th of 1981. What are you going to do? Um, September 25th of 1981, Parnell was sentenced to the max sentence. This is the maximum for kidnapping. Seven years. For stealing a kid. Like, this was from Timmy's case. Gross. It's fucking gross. Yeah. And if you think about, like, almost all sentences, you can get out about 50% through your sentence as long mm-hmm. as you have decent behavior. Yeah. So that's, like, three and a half years. Ugh, I'm so yeah. not. I'm not happy. Hmm. Yeah. So the defense asked for leniency because Timmy was returned safely. Not by no. Paul, though. No. Even. <laughs> not no <laughs> but he hadn't been the well the biggest thing was like they kept saying well he hadn't been physically harmed well yeah that's because steven didn't let it happen and he hadn't been physically harmed doesn't mean that he wasn't like mentally harmed throughout this whole thing Bitch, he, was he, was gonna be carrying, he was gonna be carrying those scars his entire life <laughs> okay <sighs> obviously that was denied they said that makes no sense You're so stupid no yeah Irvin Murphy's lawyers tried to have him tried separately from Parnell, like I said, mm-hmm. should have been, but it was denied, unfortunately. So December 10th of 1981, the trial for Stevens kidnapping began, and this ran for a few weeks as well. Um, defense basically maintained the statute had passed and that whatever happened within the frame of that frame of reference, um, Stephen was basically staying of his own free will within the last three years you know the 10 year old to 14 year old is 
just staying of his own free will. Mm-mm. Um, so I wrote, this pisses me the fuck off. Oh God, <laughs> like, it's so just, annoying. Like, he just stayed. It's fine. You know, this, I wrote, this 10 to 14 year old just chose to stay with the man who is sexually assaulting and raping him. I don't mm-hmm. think that's how it works. No. Um, he claimed that Stephen was happy being away from his family and because because sometimes he would get a spanking from his parents oh yeah that's much better than being raped or much yeah. worse than being raped constantly. Yeah. get the fuck out of here you fucking and bitch. they also said that steven was mad about moving from their ranch so that's why he liked staying with parnell because no. yeah that's so not, that's not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing so during the trial, both of Stephen's parents took the stand and admitted that sometimes they would give them a smack, but rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, also said that there was never any excessive force. It was just a normal spanking. Bitch, I got um, hit with wooden spoons and that wasn't excessive force. Like, come right. on. Right. Like, I managed. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, the defense for Irvin Murphy said that he was also a victim of Parnell. He was manipulated into kidnapping Stephen. They also said that Murphy was the only part of only part of the physical kidnapping not the ongoing imprisonment throughout the years so his statute really had passed like i said before um so murphy went to testify and the judge postponed his testify because he was so unkempt like he had broken glasses on greasy hair dirty clothes he looked like somebody walked in off of living on the street for how long and they said basically we're gonna wait until you like get to shower and look like presentable Mm -hmm. and then he came back and he testified openly about the kidnapping repeating his story he said since the beginning that this is what we went to do and then parnell basically told me i should do this because we wanted a better life for a kid um and he said that he was unaware of the under like of the undertones of parnell's motives he didn't realize that he wanted to sexually abuse steven because he never saw that side of it okay um, Stephen also testified and said that he was ashamed for obeying Parnell and that he didn't know why he didn't feel like he could leave when he got older and was able to. And he wasn't sure why he felt like he couldn't share his story with like authoritative figures like his teachers or anything. Mm-hmm. He just felt like he couldn't. Right. Um, the psychologist testified that Stephen was raised in a home that taught him to do whatever adults said to do. Um, without question so this made him vulnerable Uh, I have a lot of quotes here near the end from the trial so this is a quote from this psychologist when first abducted Stainer was confused shocked and afraid he began feeling enraged emotionally blocking occurs and then a sense of hopelessness and despair giving up and turning himself into his abductors basically what he follows um Unable to understand his feelings and finding it less painful to avoid them, he began to act and in respond and respond, sorry, as though he was Dennis Parnell. So basically he just put his other self in the background. Um, And then later on he said, he's like from, where is that part? Oh, from an adult point of view, we can ask, why didn't he leave? But from a child's perspective, it's, if my parents wanted me, why haven't they come and got me? Yeah. You know, like, you got to look at it from a kid's, like, they don't look at things the same way. So right. 
December 22nd, the other inmates discovered Parnell's sexual crimes. And you know what happened? Yep. He got the shit beat out of him in jail. (laughs) Right? Ending with Parnell's having broken ribs and an injured knee that didn't recover completely. I love me Um, some prison justice for pedophiles. Well, and that's, and it's so just like, the fact that people in jail look at it as such a terrible thing. Like, I'm sure you had a grandma killer in there somewhere. And they're still like, hey, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. Right. Well, and that's, uh, it's just crazy. So he was put into isolation. And then once he was like, healed up some, (laughs) they continued the court proceedings. um, And it was paused through Christmas. It resumed January 4th of 1982. With closing statements, Pat Holford, the DA, said any verdict that's not kidnapping and kidnapping for conspiracy, I think, would be a cruel joke on Stephen and would be a sad and tragic day for justice in Merced County and Amarillo County and any other county in this state. So basically, like, if you guys find him as, like, just false imprisonment and he gets, Mm -hmm. that's bullshit, y'all. Um, so January 7th, the jury found Kenneth and Irvin Murphy guilty of second degree kidnapping and conspiracy to kidnap. Murphy was extremely shaken by hearing this. They said that he put up, made like a fault, like, like a little cry whimper and then like was biting on his knuckles. Like he got all nervous and Parnell just didn't seem to care. He just blinked a lot. Reminds me of the, what is it, uh, Shawcross, his yeah, interview. <laughs> calm down, Blinky McBlankerson. <laughs> um, the sentencing was set for the next month, and the judge said uh, seven-year-old, a seven-year-old boy was taken from his home and lied to, told that his parents didn't want him anymore, presumably didn't love him anymore. The results um, psychologically impacted the this young boy now 16 years old it's sometime it's something that he is struggling with now and will be struggling with for the rest of his life so he was very much just like not happy with what he had to do because he's like all this conduct um in callous deceitful insensitive and as far as the court is concerned fully justifies the imprisonment the imprisonment of the maximum sentence uh, that is available. The max sentence was seven years, but California law said that two kidnapping sentences couldn't be served consecutively. So that means he gets a total of seven years for both because they have to do it concurrently. So since Parnell had already received a seven year sentence for Timmy's kidnapping, he could only receive an additional 20 months for the conspiracy of kidnapping. Gross. That's fucking yep i'm not happy um the judge knew that this wasn't was way too lenient and very unfair he literally kept steven for seven years and he would have a max of about eight to serve if he served all of it the judge then sentenced murphy to five years saying murphy had a clean record and this is basically as little as he could give him Mm -hmm. for the charge um he just was not happy that he didn't come to authorities earlier about Steven's stuff. Right. That was the biggest thing that the judge like pointed out with him. The public was pissed, obviously. Um, there was an outcry for laws to be changed to, in order to prevent anything like this to happen again and using that loophole in order to uh, 
kidnap multiple people. Mm -hmm. Um, The max sentence the judge was allowed to impose in Parnell was 20 months. There is something very wrong with the criminal justice system when a seven-year kidnapping is punished by a sentence of 20 months. This was um, from an article in the Press Democrat. Mm -hmm. Um, Stephen also said that he would have liked to see him behind bars until he was 90 years old and unable to hurt anybody else, but he also said that he felt sorry for Murphy and that he would like to see him again. He's like, Murphy didn't deserve to get charged the same. Yeah. Um, So Stephen also said that he would have liked to... Oh, sorry. That's what I just read. I scrolled down. (laughs) In August of 1982, new legislation was passed um, unanimously to increase the imprisonment terms for multiple kidnappings. Murphy was released on June 21st of 83, serving only three years out of his five years. On April 5th, 1985, Parnell was released because he had good behavior. He only served five years. Um, he had two-year parole after... bullshit. Yeah, afterward to, in stipulation. Um, and he was also not allowed to leave Amarillo County. Um, and he had to attend counseling. He went to a boarding house in Berkeley, which is a city, where the police, where his like parole officer would come and see him multiple times a week. So he was like Mm -hmm. at least being monitored for those two years that he was on parole, like Mm -hmm. pretty closely. Uh, But the public again was mad because this is not fair. Yeah. Um, Kay Stainer, Stephen's mom or dad, mom, mom. I said, I'm like, wait, Dell is the dad. Stainer said in an interview, he's dangerous to kids, young boys, and to the families of those children. I just hope that people in Berkeley are progressive as they're supposed to be to have taught their children to protect themselves. Um, There was another attempt to file sexual abuse charges in Mendocino County before the statute was up, um, and Parnell would receive a seven-year sentence per sexual assault. So if they could get that pushed through, he would have mm-hmm. been in prison for upwards of like 50 years. Right. Um, in April or on April 16th, 1985, Mendocino County DA Vivian Racusis. Is that yours? What? Yeah, I hear Tom Tom. Yeah, he's fucking talking. <laughs> I was like, I just heard a man's voice. I'm like, I'm here by myself. <laughs> <laughs> um Anyway, so Vivian said she wouldn't be prosecuting Parnell for the sexual abuse charges because authorities were aware of these charges before and they should have done it then. So basically- Oh my God. I know. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is like- Could be done. I'm like just pissed off now. (laughs) Oh, girlfriend, there's a little bit more. I got just like another page and a half of just like the end of his life, okay? Um, so Parnell finished his parole in, on April 5th of 87, uh, with the authorities at that point, the authorities had no reason to watch over him and they, he basically had free reign. Awesome. Go wherever. Um, he became a security guard at a boy's home in Oakland, oh. California. Oh, that's a awesome. They never checked his criminal history. Um, after he, after the TV series, I know my name is Steven aired in 1989. 
they basically discovered who he was and he was fired. So he was How there for a couple boys years. How did he rape? Uh, yeah, right? Um, so December 20th of 2002, so we're fast forwarding. Uh, there were reports that Kenneth Parnell was attempting to kidnap another boy. Awesome. He was That's 71 at the great. time. Great. Great. That's wonderful. Um, and so and so surprising right oh yeah it's not a pattern at all uh no one could have predicted (laughs) at the time he was 71 and suffering from emphysema emphysema and diabetes he allegedly had offered his friend diane 500 dollars to take a child for him preferably a boy an english-speaking black boy (gasps) between the ages of four and six gross um, all quotes from what Diane said he said to her. Um, he also wanted the boy's birth certificate somehow. Uh, she accepted the offer in fear that Parnell would try to find somebody else, and she went straight to the police with it. Um, okay. So she never intended to actually do it, she said. So she went to the police, and she worked with them to set up a sting. Da, 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 da. Worked with them to set up a sting, and they bugged her phone and recorded all the conversations she had with Parnell after that, mm-hmm. where he, they basically worked out all the details. Um, and she, he also said in one of, the, one of the conversations that he would consider getting a young girl, too, if everything works out. He just can, he can't handle but one at a time, quotations, <gasps> you know? Oh. Yep. And it's recorded him saying that because, and then it makes you think like, yeah, because he got caught when he got two last time. Mm. Um, January 3rd of 2003, Diane called Parnell and said that she was about to go collect the little boy that he wanted in an interstate exchange. And he agreed with Diane that she would come in, leave the boy in the car and bring the certificate, getting a hundred dollars from him with the certificate and then go get the boy to prove that basically as proof that he's going to pay her Mm -hmm. for things. Um, So Diane wore a wire and entered Parnell's apartment with the birth certificate. So they obviously falsified it and got the money. And as she was leaving, after she got the money, um, the police stormed the apartment and arrested Parnell. So as soon as they made a transaction showing that he was actually serious Mm -hmm. about doing it, it's just, I mean, it's just like John Stings when they, you know, um, they searched his apartment and found children's books and videos and clothing (gasps) and stuffed animals. And then on the darker side, they found condoms and pornography and sex toys and bottles labeled libido pills. Ew. Uh, Parnell was charged with conspiracy to commit child stealing. Didn't know that was a thing. Um, solicitation to commit felony kidnapping and attempt to buy a person. Uh, This was Parnell's third kidnapping conspiracy charge. And in California, the three strike rule um, made it so he was facing life in prison, no matter what. Oh, good. So as long as he's convicted, basically that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. Dell said the man should have never gotten out of prison in the first place. So Steven's dad, Um, he should have gotten life when he took Stevie all those years ago. Yep. Uh, and you know he molested boys at that boys' school. Oh, yeah. Obviously. I mean, with his history, mm-hmm. it'd be stupid to think he didn't. Um, Parnell admitted that he tried to get the child, but claimed that it was good intentions. 
time is running out on me. I wanted to raise him just like any other child. I wanted to, to be loved. And I guess it was wrong. I thought a child would love me for what I am and not what I was. It's easier for a child to become attached to me when they're really young. I'm grossed out. Yeah. I don't like this anymore. I, I'm almost done. I'm like a half page left. Like a couple little bullet points. I don't. La, 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 la. <laughs> So February 2nd of 2004, uh, Parnell's trial began and he pleaded not guilty. Weird. Um, His lawyer said that the kidnapping of Stephen and Timmy were irrelevant and shouldn't be considered during the trial. Fuck you. The judge ruled otherwise. Oh, good. Are you fucking kidding? It's the exact same thing. Get get the fuck out of here. (laughs) So Timmy testified against Parnell and so did Sean Porman. They both showed up to testify against him saying this is a pattern mm-hmm. in in court Porman apologized to Timmy and the two hugged when he got off the stand um Parnell was found guilty uh of all charges and sentenced to 25 to life like the three strike rule says mm-hmm. you have to be on January 21st of 2008 four years later um 76 year old Parnell died of natural causes in prison so he only oh. technically was in there for four years it's fucking dumb so he only served like 11 years total mm-hmm. for all of the raping and molesting and kidnapping he did yep that's it's good story amanda I really you're welcome it. you're welcome you're welcome um there's an eight foot bronze statue of steven and timmy holding hands in the merced's applegate park Aww. and it was unveiled august 28th of 2010 the stainer stanley stainer stanley <laughs> the stainer family made a statement when it was unveiled that he wasn't ju- it wasn't just in memory of Stephen and timmy but of all missing children um and that is the end of that Aww. so uh i wanted to end it on a semi like decent note yeah no, other I, than appreciated other than parnell died of natural causes i'm not gonna lie your story fucking sucked so i i'm glad that you have like a not so serious story <laughs> because as i was doing this research i'm like i don't know if i want to do this but i already said i'm gonna do it and then i kept finding more and more terrible information that i'm like what the fuck man what why the- did this not get what the fuck <laughs> but he's dead so that's good Yay for dead people. Um, Good story, bro. Yeah, don't lie to me. (laughs) I fucking hated it. But I mean, you did a good job. It was a lot. It was a god. I was kind of glad that we missed last week because then I could uh, finish it up not sitting three days in a row in terrible shit. So so that was good. All right. (laughs) Positive things, right? You ready to hear my story? Yes. Okay, so it's a white-collar crime, which is my favorite kind of crime, because for the most part, nobody dies. (laughs) I mean, that's always a plus. (laughs) I mean, you get people's lives ruined, like, in uh, Ponzi schemes and shit, but that's not what's happening in this one. You're going to like it. It's a... I thought it was fucking funny, because to me, what it equates to is a kid in the... uh, early 40s 50s 60s just hey let's try this and see what happens and getting away with shit so i'm gonna tell you about frank william abagnale jr 
He is the inspiration for the movie Catch Me If You Can. Ooh! Oh, cool! Okay. Okay, so now he is an American security consultant, but is known for his career as a... Also, just so you know, my sources were mostly just Wikipedia because it's very, very full article and everything else I read was just information from Wikipedia. So don't at me um (laughs) the fuck out (laughs) so fuck off uh so he's known as a con man he's a check forger and an imposter uh but it was from his ages of 15 to 21 so he started at age 15 um (laughs) he became one of the most notorious imposters claiming to have assumed no fewer than eight identities including an airline pilot a physician a u.s bureau of prisons agent a lawyer um Abagnale escaped from police custody twice before turning 22. So it inspired the the film Catch Me If You Can and the Broadway musical of the same name. And they are all based on a 1980, which called an autobiography called Catch Me If You Can uh, by Abagnale and Stan Redding. But Abagnale later states that he gave Stan um, the free freedom to embellish things as needed. Oh, creative like make, license. Yeah, to make it a, it's kind of an autobiography, but it's also supposed to be like an entertaining, like fictionish, nonfiction book. Right. So, he was born April twenty seventh, nineteen forty eight, to a French mother and an Italian American father, and grew up in New Rochelle, New York. Uh, his parents separated when he was twelve and divorced when he was sixteen. So he had like a normal childhood. He went to a prep school. He graduated. Like he, he didn't really have anything traumatic happen to him. Okay. Uh, his first victim, though, was his father. So Abagnale uh, was given a credit card and a truck to assist him in commuting to his part-time job. Uh, to get date money, he used ga- the credit card to buy tires, quotation marks, batteries, quotation mark, and other car-related items at gas stations, and then returned them for cash for the products. So ultimately, his father was liable for a bill amounting to $3,400, which is the equivalent of $28,394 in 2019 money. Jeez. <laughs> mm. Oh, boy. Uh, and he was 15 at the time. So oh, my the, kid. The, ne- <laughs> the next. The back of this hand. Just the fucking hand. <laughs> back of the goddamn hand. If you, um, can fi- you, if you can find a way to steal twenty, the equivalent of twenty something thousand dollars from me at fifteen, you are old enough to get the back of this hand. Yes. <laughs> so, the next like section is I'm just going to read through all of his like most famous um, imposter and identities that he went through. I don't have years or ages because they they weren't really. I didn't really have them in anything that I found, but just remember that all through all of these, he's age 15 to 21. So, okay. So after the credit card issue, Abigail, Abigail, not Abigail, <laughs> Abigail, um, learned early like contracts. So he started writing personal checks on his own overdrawn account, but that would only worked for a limited time before the bank demanded payment. So he moved to opening other accounts at different banks under new names to sustain like his charade basically. Mm-hmm. Over time and through experimentation, he developed different ways of defrauding banks, such as printing out his own copies of checks, like payroll checks, and depositing them and encouraging banks to advance him cash on the basis of his account balances. 
So he'd <sighs> cash a de- uh, fraud payroll check because he had a couple thousand in his bank account. So, you know, he's good, good for it. But then he'd withdraw all the money out of his bank account and call it good. See ya. <laughs> uh, another trick he used was to magnetic magnetically print his account number on bank deposit slips and add them to the stack of real bank slips in the bank. So like the ones that are like outside the bank that you pull and fill out. So he'd put his deposit, his account number. So it would result in the deposits written on those slips by bank customers entering his account rather than the account's legitimate customer's account. (laughs) 15 to 21. 15 to 21 guys i'm just i'm just amazed i'm like you're you're a smart little shit aren't you and it's very very like simple yeah all of his things are very simple so in a he used to go around and give speeches to like the fbi and stuff after in his later years and in one of those speeches um he described an occasion when he noticed a, the location where airlines and car rental businesses such as United Airlines and Hertz would drop off their daily collections of money in a bag and then deposit them into a drop box on the airport premises. So using a security guard disguise, he bought at a local costume shop. He put a sign over the box saying out of service, placed deposits with seri- security guard on duty and collected money in that manner. Later, he disclosed how he could not believe this idea worked, stating to some of stating how can a drop box be out of service how are people looking at this like oh okay (laughs) okay give it to the security guard and then he'd just stand by the counter as the security guard and get the money they just hand him money yeah thank you you. yeah (laughs) so then he decided to impersonate a pilot to look more legitimate when cashing checks he obtained a uniform by calling Pan Am American World Airways, telling the company that he was a pilot working for them who had lost his uniform while getting it cleaned at this hotel and obtained a new one with a fake employee ID number. He then forged a Federal Aviation Administration pilot's license. Pan Am estimated that between the ages of 16 and 18, Abagnale flew as a passenger more than a million miles on more than 250 flights and flew to 26 countries by deadheading which is where um pilots will hop on a flight because they need to be in new york to fly from new york to georgia so they'll just hop on a flight in minnesota to get to new york and they don't pay for it so he flew more than a million miles on more than 250 flights and flew to 26 countries by the age of 18 full free (laughs) Wow, buddy. He's not hurting anybody. He's just... <laughs> See, that's, I mean... That's why I'm like... as it is. It's, it's like, terrible. he's... I mean... So, as a teenager, he noticed that his hair was graying, which he worked... Which worked... He were, just worked into his pilot's disguise, because it made him look older. Mm-hmm. Uh, expenses such as food or lodging were billed to the airline company. However... Abagnale did not fly on Pan Am planes, believing his charade would potentially be identified by real Pan Am pilots. So he'd wear a Pan Am pilot uniform, but hop on a United Airlines flight so that no one would (laughs) recognize him or employees who would ask for genuine identification or proof of employment. Abagnale stated that he was often invited by pilots to take the controls of the plane in flight. On one occasion, he was offered the courtesy of flying at 30,000 feet. 
He took the controls and enabled the autopilot, very much aware that he had been handed custody of 140 lives, his own included, and he had not the ability to even fly a kite. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine like, being like... Make it till you make it only lasts for so long. <laughs> right. He's like, that's why I'm like, the, his whole story, his whole life story is like, wonder what happens if I do this. Huh, it works. Let's try this. Holy shit, I'm flying an airplane. <laughs> That's the, it's the, it's the uh, perfect epitome of just act like you belong here and no one questions you. <laughs> exactly. If you do things with confidence, people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, there was one, I saw, pause, I saw a TikTok where the guy's like, I found, I've read that if you uh, just carry a ladder in anywhere, no one stops you. So he went to Disney World for free. Because he just carried a ladder in and they just let him walk in because they thought he was maintenance. I'm like, I was like, that's genius. Dude had a movie theater too. So, uh, let's see. So for a, uh, let me, I got, I got lost. Okay. So after he was nearly arrested, disembarking from a flight in New Orleans, afraid of possible capture, he retired temporarily to Georgia. When filling out rental application, he impulsively listed his occupation as doctor, feeling that the owner might check with Pan Am if he wrote pilot. After befriending a real doctor who lived in the same apartment complex, he agreed to act as a supervisor of resident interns as a favor until the local hospital could find someone to take the job. uh, (laughs) Hold on. So now he was legitimately just standing in as a doctor. Yes. For 11 months. Abagnale impersonated a chief resident pediatrician in a Georgia hospital under the alias of Frank Williams. The position was not solely administrative uh, as he he has claimed it was, but it was not. Uh, But it was not demanding for Abagnale as seven interns were eager to get experience under his supervision. He was able to fake his way through most of his duties by letting the interns show off their handling of the cases coming in during his late night shift. However... He was nearly exposed when an infant became critically unwell from oxygen deprivation, and he didn't initially understand the meaning or gravity of the situation when a nurse informed him of a blue baby. He Hmm. left the hospital only after he realized he could put lives at risk by the inability to respond to life or death situations. I'm sorry, sir. You're pretending to be a doctor. You didn't realize that someone could die on your walk. I know. (laughs) Yeah. So he's like, this is probably not I'm. I, this is not the best idea. I'm just going to go ahead and bounce. So then... <laughs> to be fair, um, he's probably in his teens at this point, so... Yeah, he's still like 17, 18-ish, 19. Um, he said that he worked as a sociology teaching assistant at Brigham Young University for a semester under the name Frank Adams, but Brigham Young University still disputes that claim, but... Brigham Young, isn't that the Mormon yep. University? Let's just, you're not that great. Let's just, so let's, <laughs> let's just move past that. Let's move past it. Um, <laughs> while posing as a Pan Am first officer, Robert Black, Abagnale forged a Harvard University law script or transcript, passed the Louisiana bar exam, and got a job at the Louisiana State Attorney General's office at the age of 19. <laughs> Oh, 
He told wow. a flight, yeah. He told a flight attendant he had briefly dated that he was also a Harvard law student, and she introduced him to a lawyer friend. He was told the bar needed more lawyers and was offered a chance to apply. After making a fake transcript from Harvard, he prepared himself for the compulsory exam. Despite failing twice, he claims to have passed the bar exam legitimately on the third try after eight weeks of study because Louisiana at the time allowed you to take the bar over and over as many times as you needed. It was really a matter of eliminating what you got wrong. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So, however, a real Harvard graduate also worked for the attorney general and he hounded Abagnale with questions about his tenure at Harvard. Abagnale had trouble crafting a plausible story for himself as an undergraduate of a university he never attended and the co-worker soon became suspicious, repeatedly interrogating Abagnale. Due to his doubts about his credentials, the co-worker had contacted Harvard in order to f- confirm Abagnale's academic qualifications. Finding none, he convinced his boss to launch a background check on Abagnale. So he resigned before he could be exposed, and spent, but he spent a total of eight months as a fake attorney for the Louisiana State Attorney General's office. So this guy, see, you know, I look at my life, but I'm like, I don't have many stories, like good stories that when I have grandkids, I'm going to tell them anything. (laughs) Most of them are are drunk stories. I know this guy, this guy's got some stories, right? (laughs) So, uh, Abigail was eventually arrested in Montpellier, France, France. In 1969, when an Air France attendant had previously, he had previously dated, recognized him, and informed police. When he, when French police arrested him, 12 countries in which he had committed fraud sought his extradition. After a two-day trial, he first served time in uh, Perigny's prison, a one-year sentence that the presiding judge at his trial reduced to six months. He was then extradited to Sweden during trial for forgery. His defense attorney almost had his case dismissed by arguing that he had created the fake checks and not forged them. Technically, Technically, he did not forge any checks. He just made fake checks. Um, (laughs) But instead, his charges were reduced to swindling and fraud. Following another conviction, he served six months in a Malmo prison, only to learn that at the end of it, he would have to be tried next in Italy but because Swedish is technically a non-extradition country um, they asked the U.S. State Department official to revoke his passport without a valid passport the Swedish authorities were legally compelled to deport him to the United States okay so he was deported to the United States where he was sentenced to 12 years in a federal prison for multiple counts of forgery uh, however, while being deported to the United States, Abagnale escaped from a, Br- a British VC-10 airliner as it was turning on to a taxiway at New York's John F. Kennedy Airport. Of course he did. Under the cover of night, he scaled a nearby fence, hailed a cab to Grand Central Terminal. After stopping in the Bronx to change clothes and pick up a set of keys at a Montreal bank safe deposit box containing $20,000, he caught a train to Montreal's Dorval Airport. To purchase a ticket to Sao Paulo, Brazil. But there was a... There was, the breadcrumbs this guy left for himself yeah. when things shit hit the fan. It's like, yeah. oh, 
Oh. So there was a close call, but then he was also apprehended by a constable of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, fucking Canadians, I'm just kidding, (laughs) while standing in line at the ticket counter. And then he was handed over to the U.S. Border Patrol. Then, in April of 1971, Abagnale reportedly escaped from the Federal Detention Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) While awaiting trial, during the time, U.S. prisons were being condemned by civil rights groups and investigated uh, in a stroke of luck that included the accompanying U.S. Marshal for getting his detention commitment papers. Abagnale was mistaken for an undercover prison inspector and was even given privileges and food far better than the other inmates. So what happened to the actual prison inspector? He's probably getting fucking gangbanged in the back corner. I honestly, um, I don't put anything past this guy to just like (laughs) set shit up. So the Federal Department of Corrections in Atlanta had already lost two employees as a result of reports written by undercover federal agents, and Abagnale took advantage of their vulnerability. He contacted a friend who posed as his fiance and slipped him the business card of Inspector C.W. Dunlap to the Bureau of Prisons, which she had obtained by posing as a freelance writer doing an article for fire safety measures in federal detention centers. So she handed over a business card from Joseph Shea, the FBI agent in charge of Abagnale's case. Um, which she doctored at a stationary print shop. Abagnale told the corrections officers that he was indeed a prison inspector and handed over Dunlap's business card as proof. He told them that he needed to contact FBI agent Joseph Shea on a matter of urgent business. So the phone number on that card... <laughs> I'm sorry! <laughs> the, the phone number on that card was to a Atlanta shopping mall payphone to which his friend answered and posed as an operator to the as the FBI. Later, he was allowed to meet unsupervised with the FBI agent in a predetermined car outside the detention center. In the car was his friend who picked up Abagnale and drove him to Atlanta bus station where he took a Greyhound bus to New York. Weird. <laughs> I, wow. Okay. <laughs> And soon thereafter, he took a train to Washington, D.C. He then bluffed his way through an attempted capture by posing as an FBI agent after being recognized by a motel registration clerk. Intent on making his way to Brazil, he was picked up a few weeks later by two NYPD op- detectives when he inadvertently walked past their unmarked police car. Ah. <laughs> So, in 1974, after he had served fewer than seven years of his 12-year sentence, uh, in Petersburg, Virginia, the United States federal government released him on the condition that he helped the federal authorities without pay to investigate crimes committed by fraud and scam artists and sign in once a week. He didn't want to go to New York with his family, like not his married family, but his like parents and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he left the choice of parole location up to the court, which decided that he would be paroled in Houston, Texas. After his release, Abagnale tried numerous jobs, including cook, grocer, and movie projectionist, but he was fired for most of these after it was discovered he had been hired without revealing his criminal past. Finding those jobs, he was able to land unsatisfying. He approached a bank with an offer. He explained to the bank that he had what he had done and offered to speak with the bank staff and show them various tricks that paper hangers used to defraud banks. His offer included the condition that if they did not find his speech helpful, they would owe him nothing. Otherwise, they would owe him 50 bucks with an agreement that they would provide his name to other banks. With that, he began his legitimate life as a security consultant. 
Nice. That's so, kind of like, that's like uh, when hackers hack a company and then that company will hire that hacker to help them make their uh, stuff more secure. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> wow. So wow. <laughs> Abigail cites meeting his wife as the motivation for changing his life. Uh, she met me as someone else with a completely different background when, because he was undercover when she he met his wife for the FBI. Yeah. She met me as someone else with a completely different background. And when the assignment was over, I had broken protocol because you're never supposed to do this. But I told her who I really was because I wanted to continue to see her. She accepted what I told her. And eventually we got married and have been married ever since. So according to Abagnale, it was hard to keep a low profile in a big city. He convinced the federal handlers that he had that he needed to move himself and his wife and his three sons to Tulsa, Oklahoma. There he stopped making speeches and kept a low profile as possible. He and his family lived in the same house for the next 25 years. His sons enrolled at Monte Casino School and Bishop Kelly High School, both private parochial schools. After the sons left home for college and careers elsewhere, Kelly suggested that she and Frank should leave Tulsa, and they agreed to move to Charleston, South Carolina. He later funded Abagnale and Associates, which advises companies on fraud issues. Abagnale also continues to advise the FBI, whom he has been associated with for more than 40 years, by teaching at the FBI Academy and lecturing for FBI field offices throughout the country. According to his website, more than 14,000 institutions have adopted Abagnale's fraud prevention programs. He also testified before the U.S. Senate in November of 2012 about the vulnerabilities of senior citizens to fraud, particularly stressing the uh, use of Social Security numbers for identification, including on Medicare cards. Mm-hmm. He lives, he still lives on Daniel Island near Charleston, South Carolina, with his wife Kelly, whom he met while working undercover. They have three sons: Scott, Christian, Sean. Scott works for the FBI. Abagnale and Joseph Shea, the FBI agent who chased him all those years, remained close friends until Shea's death. And in 2015, he was named the AARP Fraud Watch Ambassador, (laughs) where he helps to provide online programs and community forums to educate consumers about ways to protect themselves from identity theft and cybercrime. And in 2018, he began co-hosting the AARP podcast, The Perfect Scam, about scammers and how they operate. So, um, in 1978, after Abagnale had become a featured speaker at an anti-crime seminar, a reporter looked into his assertions. He said he called banks, schools, hospitals, and other institutions Abagnale mentioned, but said that the they either would not comment or had no evidence that his cons actually happened mm-hmm. under the aliases he said. Um, Abagnale's response was due to the embarrassment involved. I doubt if anyone would confirm the information. He later said he had also changed the names in his stories, like of right. his aliases. Um, but Pan Am also said that it happened. So right. I just feel like I agree. I'm more inclined to believe him than that it's embarrassing for them. So why would they say right? Yes, and that then happened? he said in 2002. Um, I was interviewed by the co-writer, which was the the author, only about four times. I believe he did a great job of telling the story, but he also over-dramatized and exaggerated some of the story. That was his style and what the editor wanted. He also reminded me that he was just telling a story and not writing my full biography. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the story of Frank William Abagnale Jr. 
Well, Which well, just, it's it literally to me as I'm reading this, I'm like, this is a 16 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old, 19 year old kid just going. Wonder what happens if I do this. Let's try it. Well, that worked out in my favor. Uh, let's do this, and just let's kind of like that. leaning into every scenario that comes across and seeing if it works. Well, and I mean, I don't think anybody would be able to do something like that now because everything's no. so traced. But right. it's cool to think that it was possible at one point. Yeah. To just be like, I just be whoever I want to be. You know how they say I, that when you're little? Yeah. You can be whatever you want. Just write they a doctor down and then the guy's like, oh, you're a doctor? Hey, we need a doctor to fill in. You want to fill in? Shh. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Shit, yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> well, that was good. Very interesting. Like, I, I knew the general story. I didn't know everything. Yeah, I just... That he actually... And it amazes me that it was literally... It wasn't, like... Because, like, in the movie Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio is much older. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... He's not a grown-ass man. He's a... He's Teenager. a kid. He's a fucking kid. He was arrested by the time he was 21. Like... And all that <laughs> happened before that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, no. My headphones. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it fell I just imagine that's what Chris sees when you're about out to... from under my banky. Oh, you weren't plugged in yet. Yeah, I'm plugged in now. What's when you up? did your head move, I was like, I just imagine that's what Chris sees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sexy. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Um who are you talking to? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Dude, I didn't even tell you. Okay, so my dad took Clover and Sophie to get their claws, like, trimmed because they were, they had, like, big monster claws. Mm-hmm. And he got, like, quoting to have them groomed and we're going to take them to get groomed. And dad's like, well, we'll do it in, like, a couple weeks, but you need to brush out Clover's shoulder because she's got a big mat on her upper shoulder. And I was like, well, that's fucking gross. So I, like, made her lay down and was trying to pull apart this mat turns out wasn't a fucking mat she had a like a for the longest time she's had it for like maybe a year like a pea-sized like cyst on her upper shoulder oh did it fucking ruptured and <laughs> so i'm like slowly trying to pull the mat up and she's crying and i'm like because she's such a drama- yeah. dramatic baby that i'm always like no you'd like gently pull it's her like hair you're and fine cries and i'm like you're fine and i pull it back and i'm like there's things there's stuff and dad's like what is going on it's coming out there's stuff coming out there's stuff coming out and, like it's not a mat it's not a mat and i'm like trying to hold her down so what the dentist said is that when those rupture a hard crust forms over them and then you have to peel it back to get all the crap out so I that way it can heal yeah what i did was correct but i still took her to the vet and they like shaved around it and like flushed it all out and stuff but i was like (laughs) (laughs) well and i'm normally okay with like wound care if i know that there is a wound that i'm caring for it was just too close for comfort it was just a surprise (laughs) there's a hole she has a hole (laughs) 
it's not a mat it's a hole and there's things coming out yeah like there's stuff coming out what is it what is it I don't know but I mean it's almost fully scabbed over now so she's fine it was like two days ago but I was (laughs) yeah and those things it's so like get all of it out get it cleaned out so it can heal because that's the only thing you can do with it yeah no and then because I was that's like if it was bigger like if it tore more I might have stitched it but Mm -hmm. I think it'll just close up real quick she's like just he's like do you want a donut and I was like no because the other dog pops it for them he's like what and I'm like when Sophie got spayed Clover popped her donut and when Clover got spayed Sophie popped her donut like literally less than two hours after they had it on they do it for each other they just bite it until they pop it fine I'll fix it and he's like that's hilarious and I'm like yeah (laughs) I know so no we'll just keep her from licking it and she's just watch her She's been a big baby about it. Every time I put, every time I put ointment on it, she cries. And I'm like, it's like fully scabbed over. It doesn't hurt you, big baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh. Oh boy. Well, we should probably, this is going to be a long one, huh? Yeah. Well, no. We shot the shit for like 45 minutes before we started recording. So we're only at like an hour and a half. So. All right. Uh, Well, thanks for listening, bitches. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, yeah. That's tomorrow when this yeah, comes it out it's not tomorrow right now Hashtag right now it's a few days pod- from now podcaster time traveling I don't time know. traveling <laughs> um yeah thanks for we already said that so yeah fuck off whatever uh so follow like <laughs> all go. that fun stuff <laughs> we usually don't tell you to like fuck off i mean we do <laughs> But not seriously. Uh, follow, like, listen, all that fun stuff. Uh, Facebook, Instagram. You can shoot us an email at iswthepodcast at gmail.com. You can check out my sexy cankle on our Facebook and Instagram because mm-hmm. Amanda posted that picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Hey, you said it was fine. I know. So I was like, I you, can post a paint. you can post a pic if you need proof. <laughs> you said it was fine, so I just did. I did. Uh, we also have, like, a website and stuff. I feel like Weird. people don't realize that (laughs) and we need to get t-shirts because i want one i know right i want my own sweatshirt and my own t-shirt for my podcast so we gotta figure that out we we do we do so um spread the word and spread yourselves all over town like that and spread the spread the butter on the thanksgiving all over your mashed hades and then pour gravy on that and slide down the hill Oof. Balls deep in the turkey, man. Don't yeah. actually go balls deep in the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> it's, gonna, it's a different kind of cake, gravy and you're going to ruin Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's going to be, you're going to make things weird. <laughs> if you can be with your family, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy yourselves. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Gross. <laughs>